in my studies this week, I came across a man who I was unfamiliar with, and some of you may be familiar with him. His name may ring a bell. James A. Baker III is his name, and <clears throat> Mr. Baker is now 86 years old. He's a resident of Houston, Texas, and he has one of the most unique political careers in modern history. And although Baker would have been content to reside in Houston and to work as a lawyer, he was continually called upon to serve his country from one administration to the next. And here are a few of his, there are so many different items he was involved in, but I want to read you a few of them that he was involved in. He got started in politics uh, with serving on the campaigns of Nixon and George H.W. Bush. He was chief of staff for Reagan. He was secretary of the treasury. He was the chairman of Reagan's successful re-election campaign. He was secretary of state and chief of staff under H.W. Bush. He was a United Nations secretary general. He's been a special consultant to the Congress. He co-chaired the Federal Commission on Election Reform, and on and on and on we could go. And Baker is a man who never sought to advance his own political agenda. He's not a politician as we would think of one, but he was continually called upon to serve in the highest places of power. This is who Daniel is. Daniel is a man that is not seeking to advance his agenda. He's not seeking to promote himself. He's not seeking to be at the highest places of politics. But time and time and time again, Daniel is thrust into the forefront of kingdoms and, and sovereigns, and he is relied upon to serve in giant capacities. And we find that this proves to be true once again, not just with Nebuchadnezzar, not just with Belshazzar, but now with an entirely different dynasty under the Medes and Persians and King Darius, Daniel is thrust to the front again. And I want you to see what happens to Daniel when this happens, that we'll find that there are different lions in his den that come and try to devour him and try to uh, set him against his God, but what we'll find is that they fail. So we'll start in verse number one. I want us to see this. The lion of resentment could not devour Daniel's excellent spirit. <clears throat> Verse number one, the Bible says this, it pleased Darius. So I want to stop right there for just a moment and talk about Darius. Darius is a man who the Bible says is of median descent. He is 62 years old and he is the king of the region. Now this is important because critics of the Bible, and especially of Daniel, this is their last leg to stand on. Darius is the one man that has not been proved historically, so to speak, by external sources outside of the Bible. And critics of the Bible love to accuse Daniel of making up this man or being inaccurate. And I don't know when it will come, but there will be a day, just as there was with Belshazzar, just as there was with different items inside of Daniel, there'll be a day where an archaeologist discovers or this find or they discover King Darius and we unfold more about him. But the Bible is constantly proved accurate. Sometimes it takes history. Sometimes it takes archaeology a little while to catch up with that. But this man, Darius, is set over, the Bible says in verse number one, he set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. So he divides the kingdom into 120 kind of provinces and says, I'm going to set men over them. Esther, Esther is inside of the Persian dynasty. She writes 17 years after this account in Daniel. So Esther writes to the Persians in Esther 1.1 that at her time there were 127 provinces. So it had grown a little bit from Daniel to Esther. But he says there's 120 princes are put over them, verse number 2. And over these princes were three presidents, of whom Daniel was first 
that the princes might give accounts unto them, and that the king should have no damage. So Daniel is put over the presidents who are over the princes, and he is now the prime minister of sorts of the Persian kingdom. Daniel is now responsible to the king directly, and that's it. Everything is being filtered and funneled through Daniel, and his job is to insulate the king, is to make sure that he doesn't have damage, as the Bible puts it, that the king is not hurt, the king is not surprised by something, that tribute is being paid, that taxes are being collected. It's Daniel's job to protect King Darius, to protect the kingdom. Now, he is not liked because of this. The Bible says in verse number three, then this Daniel was preferred, and this is by Darius, above the presidents and princes, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. So Daniel is preferred. Daniel is set above these people. Although he's not a Persian, he's not a Median, he doesn't have that bloodline. He's a captive. He's an Israelite. But he is put over these people. Undoubtedly, they're younger than he is. Daniel is in his early 80s at this point in time. So Daniel is put over these people, and the Bible is very specific on why this is, why Darius liked Daniel so much. The Bible says that Daniel is preferred because an excellent spirit is found in him, that Daniel's attitude concerning his work and what he did was good, that he had a smile on his face. He didn't just do his job, and he didn't just do it diligently, but he did it with the right attitude, with the right spirit, with the right heart as he set about to serve. The Bible says this, that Daniel was known for this. In chapter 5, verse 12, if you remember, the wife or the mother of Belshazzar comes to Belshazzar and says, you should get the counsel from Daniel. And Daniel is a man who has wisdom, he has understanding, and she says he has an excellent spirit. That this man was known for having an excellent spirit and a good attitude in and through what he did. And we learn that Daniel, he does not have an excellent spirit because he's promoted. Daniel is promoted because he has an excellent spirit. That his spirit and his attitude and his vibe are rubbing off in such a way that he is preferred. And we, we think as modern Americans that times have changed drastically since 530 B.C., which they have to a degree. But at the core, human nature is still the same. Bosses still want people that show up to work and do their job diligently. Employers still want employees who can protect them and insulate them and make sure that they don't incur damage. Employers still want employees who have an excellent spirit, who not just do their job, but they do it with the right heart and with the right attitude. We as parents know this with our children, that we don't just want our children to be obedient. We don't just want them to do what they're told. We want them to have the right spirit. We want them to do it willingly. We want them to be happy about it and joyous about it. And what we find is that Daniel is a man who's winning at work. Daniel is a man who's being promoted. Daniel is a man who is getting accolades and he's getting positions and he's getting a bump in his pay grade and there goes something that just flew right by me. But Daniel is a man, I don't know what that was. <clears throat> Daniel is a man who is being promoted because of his spirit and because of his attitude, he is preferred and he's set, he's set above those people and that's a lesson for us to learn. That our, your employer or your boss or even your spouse or your kid or your family, they like an excellent spirit. People like people who are happy to be around. People like other people who are joyous and who have this sort of effervescence and this contagious spirit. And the Bible says that this is Daniel. He's a man with an excellent spirit. But verse number four, the Bible says this. 
Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. So there are a group of men, Darius loves this, his boss, but there are a group of men that Daniel's over that don't like this. They don't like that Daniel's preferred. They don't like that he is promoted. And sometimes life goes that way. You catch a break or you get promoted and people aren't happy about it. And these are, they're resenting Daniel. They're envious of him. They are not liking him for this. And the Bible says that they try to find occasion against him concerning the kingdom. So they begin to investigate his work. They begin to hire the private eyes. They begin to do oppo research on Daniel to try to find somewhere where he is less than diligent, where he is not collecting the money he should, where he is slipping, where he's not on the ball. They begin to investigate him. And the Bible says, middle verse 4, but they could find none occasion nor fault. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. The Bible says that these men come up empty. These men try to find something concerning his work life, his professional life, where they can accuse him, point the finger, go to Darius and say, look, you shouldn't have him in position of authority, but they cannot find anything. So they, they plan B it. They go to verse number five. Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. The only hope that they had was to take Daniel's responsibilities to the king and Daniel's responsibility to the king of kings, his God, and put them in collision with each other. They knew the only hope we have of getting this man demoted, of getting this man cast down, is to somehow, some way, pit his loyalties to Darius and his loyalties to God against each other because we know his loyalty to God will trump his loyalties to Darius and, and he will then be unfaithful to Darius. If we can connive a plan or a system or something to get this man to, this is going to be the one way. This is the only way that we have to do it concerning the law of his God, that this man is faithful. We can't find something against him. All we know is that he is, he is zealous spiritually. He serves his God, and we want to find occasion. Now, put yourself in Daniel's shoes. You're 83. The, we don't know what's happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his companions, but he's up in years. The Bible does not mention them. Apparently, they're shipped out somewhere, or maybe they've died. Daniel is 83 years old. You're a captive still. After decade, after decade, after decade, you're still, at the end of the day, a servant and a slave. You are alone in a crowded room. Daniel has no one on his team. Daniel has no one that's on team Daniel wanting to help him, wanting to uh, get him going. He has everyone against him at the banquets or at the meetings. Everyone is set against him. Everyone is against Daniel. And this man still has an excellent spirit. This man who has every reason in the world to be bitter or to be angry. If you remember in chapter 1, they made Daniel a eunuch. Daniel was, he was never married. Daniel never had kids. Daniel is robbed of his hometown, of being with his family. Here is a man who had every reason in the world to be bitter, to be angry, to be resentful, to not have an excellent spirit. But he does. And I think that his walk with God is key to that. But we learn a valuable lesson from Daniel. Daniel learned that there's only one person in the world who controlled Daniel, and that was himself. He learned that it didn't matter what they did, or it didn't matter what they said, it didn't matter what they connived, it didn't matter what they tried to do to me. I am responsible for me, and I'm going to have an excellent spirit at the end. Isn't this what we try to teach our kids? 
Our kids say something mean or angry or unkind to one of their siblings or one of their classmates, and we tell them don't do that. And our kids' natural response is, well, yeah, but they did or they said our, our kids are a knucklehead and they do something stupid or they do something sinful. And we, we seek to correct them and we seek to tell them don't do that. And what's the, what's the default response? It's the blame game. Well, everyone else was, well, they told me, well, they, and what do we try to teach our kids? You are responsible for you. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter what they tell you to do. You are responsible for your own actions. And Daniel has learned this lesson, that at the end of the day, when, when the deck is stacked against him, when he has every reason to not have an excellent spirit, this man has an excellent spirit. And he's responsible for himself, and he doesn't play the blame game, which is, by the way, the oldest game in the book. It's, it's even older than Monopoly, believe it or not. It, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Adam sins, God comes to Adam, and Adam says, the woman that you gave me. It, it may be her fault, it may be your fault, but not my fault. God goes to Eve, and Eve says, the serpent. And of course, the serpent doesn't have a leg to stand on, so it's, it's the blame game. We always want to, it's in our nature, we want to point the finger, we want to say they, we want to come up with an excuse for our attitude. And I find it especially illuminating that Daniel's 83. We oftentimes use age as an excuse to be cantankerous. I say we, you, I don't, you do. Don't we? You know, pray for grandma, she's getting up in years, she's just a little sharp, you know, she, she just says that, she doesn't mean, that. we use age as an excuse to not have a smile on our face, to be edgy, to be pointed, to be mean. But Daniel's 83 and still is a man that's known for one thing, for having an excellent spirit. He's known for having a good attitude. He's known for walking with God. He is known for his excellent spirit. Although he's resented, although he's envied, although the whole world is, is pitted against him other than Darius, Daniel still has a good attitude. Daniel still has an excellent spirit, and no matter what they say or do, they can't devour that. They can't take that from him because he controls it, because he is in charge of it. Secondly, we'll see this. The lion of regulation could not devour <clears throat> his expected devotion. Look in verse number five. Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against Daniel except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and they said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. So they're going to come up with a plan here. They know that they cannot get Daniel other than concerning the law of his God. And what a compliment to this man. One of the commentators, William Heslop, said this, Never was a loftier tribute paid to a mortal man than the enemies of Daniel paid to him that day. What a tremendous tribute to the trustworthiness of this public servant. The religion of Daniel operated with such power that it excluded everything in his conduct which might furnish a handle on which they could accuse and justly hurt him. What he's saying is that they couldn't get a handle on Daniel. They could not find some branch, some little nub to hold on to and to accuse him. They couldn't find anything. This man was faithful. So this crooked caucus of sorts goes to the king, verse number 6. They assembled themselves together. They said, live forever, verse 7. All the presidents of the princes, this is what they say, all the presidents of the kingdom. Of course, we know that's a lie because Daniel was not included in this, so they lie. All the presidents of the kingdom and governors, the princes, the counselors, the captains, we've consulted together to establish a royal statute. So Darius, you make statutes, but we've gotten together 
We made one for you, buddy. Here's what it is. To make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. They say, Darius, here's what we propose. We want to make you God for a month. We want to exalt you to deity. No one can pray. No one can ask a request. No one can make a, a petition except to you for 30 days. 30 days only, but we want everything to be filtered to you. We want you to get all the praise. We want you to get all the requests. We want it all to happen to you. And they use two things. First, they use falsehood, and they lie and say, we all got together when they didn't all get together. Secondly, they use flattery. They're playing on Darius's pride, and he has no idea they're doing it. But they're trying to, quote-unquote, promote him. They're trying to extol him, to magnify him is what they're saying. And he has no idea that this is a trap laid for Daniel. Verse number 8. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians which altereth not. Now, there's two things that should be clarified. Number one is the lion's den, because that's what the story is all about, right? So the lion's den. We don't know exactly what the lion's den was like. There is an Old Testament scholar named Kiel who found a modern lion's den in Morocco. And he writes of this lion's den that it was, it was earthed, it was inside of the earth, kind of dug out, and there were two access points. Access point number one is almost like a steep ramp where you could put a lion in or you could put a larger animal or a human, whatever, into the den. Access point number two is on top, a hole, that you could remove a stone or, or leave it there. It doesn't matter if it's there or not. But in the middle of this den in Morocco, there's a wall. And this wall had a kind of gate in the middle of it that from this access point on top, you can raise the gate and move the lions from side to side. So you could put some meat on this side, raise it up, all the lions move over to eat, shut it, and then you could get in one half and clean it or take care of it and vice versa. You could use this to control the lions and to get in the pit if you needed to without being eaten. So was this pit exactly like this? We don't know, but it was probably very similar. It probably had access points like this. It's, it's clear in this passage that the pit could be sealed off, and we'll see that in a moment. The second is the law of the Medes and Persians in verse 8. So this is, this is different, and this is modern. In Babylon or in Assyria or even the Jews, <clears throat> you could make a decree and you could do whatever you wanted. As king, you were the potentate, you were the monarch, you got to do what you wanted. Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, they could say, do this, do that, and they could change their mind on a whim. One day they could say, let's do this. The next day, oh, no, I changed my mind, I want to do this. The Medes and Persians were different. They gave absolute authority to the monarchs, and they said, you can do what you want. You can make a decree unilaterally. You can make that decision, but you need to sign it into law. And once it's signed into law, you can't change it. Even as the king, you can't change it. So it limited and hampered the authority of the king to a degree that I could do what I want, but I have to sign it into law. And once it's signed into law, then this cannot be changed. So they tell the king, don't just make the decree. We want you to sign this according to the law of the Medes and Persians, so that altereth not, that it can't be changed. And if anyone makes a petition, then they'll be cast into the den of lions. So verse number nine, wherefore, King Darius signed the writing of the decree. He has no idea this is a trap. He has no idea this is a plot. And King Darius signs this into law. Now, at this point, Daniel now has regulation against him. Daniel now has the government against him. Daniel now has a law that is against him. And he's going to be faced with a choice. Either I stay loyal to the law and the government, or I stay loyal to God. And we know it's going to happen. Verse number 10. 
Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, so Daniel knows it's signed. He's not ignorant. He's not oblivious. He knows this law has been signed. I love this verse. He went to his house, and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Daniel said, you can sign the law. You, you can put the penalty of death on me. You can tell me that, that I'm not supposed to do this. Doesn't matter. I'm still going in. I'm opening up my windows. I'm looking towards Jerusalem. I'm getting on my knees. I'm praying just like I did before, that you're not going to stop my devotion to God. And the conspirators know this. They expect him to do this. They know that his loyalty, even under the threat of death, will trump this law. And they expect him to do that so that they can trap him in this. And Daniel says, look, I'm a good subject. I'm a good employee. I'm diligent. But when the law confronts God and confronts my faith, I choose God. We know that as modern Americans and citizens of a government, that we should be model citizens, that we should pay our taxes, that we should be diligent, that we should obey the laws of the land, except for when it comes in direct conflict with the law of God. We know it's better to serve God than man. We know that when a law, and thankfully I don't know of any that are directly on the books right now, but there will be a day, probably in my lifetime, there will be a day, you can just mark it down, where the laws of our land do come in opposition to the law of God. And we will have a choice. I will have a choice. You will have a choice. Do we choose to still preach truth? Do we choose to still witness? Do we choose to still share our faith? That will come. There will be a day where we're like Daniel, where we are attempted to be regulated. But what you find in this man is that he is devoted. He's devoted in his professional life. That King Darius promotes him because of this. He's devoted in his personal life. They can find nothing to hang on to him and, and get over against him. And he's devoted in his prayer life. This man is just going to be steady Eddie. He's going to be old faithful. He's going to do what he's always done. And isn't that what we long to be? Don't we long to be the people that are faithful in our work? We're faithful in our personal life. We're faithful in our walk with God. We long to be that man. We long to be the Daniel that is just steady and consistent and serves God and is faithful day after day, week after week, year after year. And here is a man that not just in this scenario, chapter 1 with the king's meet, chapter 3 with the worship, chapter 6 now with the prayer, faithful, serving God. His devotion to God trumps everything else. His faith in God stops or trumps everything else. And this is a man who could not be stopped from praying. We will two weeks from now circle back around to prayer, so I won't belabor prayer this morning, but I will ask this question. What does it take to stop you from praying? Daniel had the threat of death hanging over him, and they couldn't stop him from praying. What grand excuse do we come up with to not pray? I'm busy. Really? How much time do we spend in our book, on Facebook, uh, watching TV. Of course, by now we're all sick of the political ads and we're ready for that to be over. Setting our fantasy football rosters. We're too busy to pray, really? Well, my schedule and this happened this morning. What, ex what grand excuse did we come up with? Daniel didn't have one. D Daniel had the threat of death. Literally, he, if I was him, I'd probably just been like, okay, God, I'm going to take a vacation for 30 days. I'll see you in 30 days. It'll be great again. That would have been me probably. It was only 30 days, right? You know, I can excuse that away. This man was going to let nothing stop him from his prayer time. He was going to let nothing stop him from walking with his God, and he seeks to be devoted in it. Verse number 11. Then these men assembled. 
They found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. So they see him. Verse 12, And then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. And they said, Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or man within 30 days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? So the king, didn't you, didn't you sign that into law a day or two ago? Didn't you do that? The king says this, The thing is true. According to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not, then they're going to drop the bomb on him. Then answered they and said before the king, That Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, and you can almost hear those words dripping with the resentment towards Daniel. The, it's not Daniel the ruler. It's not Daniel the president. It's Daniel the, the captive, you know, of the children of Judah. He's not one of us. He's not of our bloodline. That Daniel, that guy, that Daniel regardeth not thee. He doesn't respect thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. They say, King, look, that Daniel, he doesn't respect you. He doesn't, he's not observing what you set up. He's not obeying the laws. That's the man. He's, he's wrong. Verse number 14. Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself. And he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he, lo- and he labored to the going down of the sun to deliver him. The king knew what happened. The king was not mad at Daniel. The king was not mad at his prayer time. The king was mad at himself. He sees now what this was. This was a plot. This was a trap. This was a way to rid Daniel. And these men are plotting against him. And the Bible says that he labors all day long to try to set him free. He says, clear my calendar, cancel all of my appointments, get the lawyers in here, find me a way out of this. Find me a way out of this law. Find me a way that I can save this man, that I can not put him in the lion's den. And they try, and they try, and they work, and they work. And at at the going down of the sun, verse 15, Then these men assembled unto the king and said unto the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is that no decree nor statute with the king established may be changed. He knows what it is. But here come these guys at the end of the day and say, Hey, king, clock's ticking, man. You only got a couple more minutes. You better better get him in that lion's den. You signed it. You're held to it. You better do this. And we learn in Daniel's life that it doesn't matter how the deck is stacked against him. Even if there's a law on the books that says you can't be devoted, it's not going to stop him. It's not going to devour his walk with God. That that is of utmost importance. It's of preeminence to him that he's going to walk with God. Third and lastly, the lion of rough times could not devour his exceptional faith. They come to the king and say, King, you better put him in. Verse number 16. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now that's a bad day. Any day you get thrown into a den of lions is a bad day. I've had some bad days. I've never had a day quite that bad. I've given people some bad days, some accidentally, some purposely, but I've never given anyone a day quite that bad. I was talking with Uh, A few people after our Wednesday night class this last Wednesday, and I don't know how it got brought up, but they brought back a memory that I'd forgotten about. Uh, I grew up in Kentucky, and I was eight to ten minutes from the city, but I lived kind of on the outskirts, and we lived around woods. There were woods just surrounding our house. You couldn't see the neighbor's houses, and we'd go play in the woods all the time. So one day, I'm probably middle school age. We're out playing with the neighbors, and uh, there was one neighbor boy, Andrew, our next-door neighbor, and I have four brothers, so there's a bunch of us, and we're making trouble and having fun in the woods. And Andrew says to us that he's been taking Boy Scout classes and that he's learning about ropes and how to tie ropes and how to get out of ropes. 
And he makes the statement, you can tie me up any way you want. It doesn't matter. I can get out of it. So, of course, as, as young boys, okay, you know, well, you challenge on, buddy. So he willingly walks over to a tree, and he puts his arms behind the tree, and he allows us to tie him up. And it's mid-morning. We're just out playing in the summertime. So we tie him up, and we leave. And we, we go home, and we play, and we eat lunch, and play some basketball. And I don't know. And we forget that we left Andrew tied up to the tree. And it's summertime, so the sun goes down, you know, 8.30, 9 o'clock. It was later in the night. The sun goes down. It gets pretty dark outside, and our phone rings. And it's my neighbor's dad, David was his name, who's calling our dad and says, we're worried about Andrew. He's normally home for dinner, and, and when the, you know, especially before the sun's down, and we can't find him anywhere. Do you know where Andrew would be? So my dad, of course, asks, you know, puts the phone up, boys, you seen Andrew? And of course, it dawns on us, yeah, we've seen Andrew. We, he's, take that trail and walk about five minutes, and on the right-hand side, I bet you'll find him tied to a tree. <laughs> and sure enough, they went out, and there was Andrew still tied to the tree. Boy Scouts didn't do him too much good, I guess. I don't know. But that was a bad day for Andrew. I don't know what he did that day. I don't know if he cried. I don't know if he was worried. I have no idea. But all I know is we gave him a bad day. Not that bad, though. Not as bad as Daniel. Daniel is brought in, and he is thrown into a den of lions, the Bible says. And the king makes a statement right before Daniel goes in. In the middle of verse 16, he says, Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. Now this seems like it's oozing with faith, and we'll find in a moment that the king is actually a little worried. He doesn't have that much faith. I think what the king is trying to say is, Daniel, I've done all I can, man. I have tried my best to deliver you. I've tried my best to save you. I've tried my best to get you out of this, but my hands are tied. I can't. It's up to your God now. You're going to have to go in. It's up to him. Verse number 17. A stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. So they bring a stone, they roll it in front of the entrance. It's probably very dark in this den at this point. And they put some wax on the stone and the king seals it. And he also has the Lord's sign it or put their emblem in the wax. Meaning I'm responsible for keeping the stone shut, but so are you. You're responsible for making sure that we're not doing something fishy, that we're not yanking Daniel out in five minutes, that he stays inside of this den, and there Daniel is sealed inside of the lion's den. Verse number 18. Then the king went to his palace, passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. This, this guy is worried to death. He clearly loves Daniel, that he's, he's fast. He can't eat. He can't sleep. He can't be comforted with music. That he is stirring and he, he's so anxious and he's so worked up over what's happening with Daniel. Verse number 19. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. As soon as he could, he was up. He was Adam. He was with haste as fast as he could. He was going to that den of lions. Verse number 20. Imagine if you're the king. That you've put this man in, you have no idea what's happened, you can't sleep, you can't eat, you can't be comforted, you are worked up, you get there as fast as you can, as soon as you can, and you walk up to this stone that sealed the den, and he came to the den and cried with a lamentable voice, with anguish, with fear, unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, 
Is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? Imagine those moments when you're speaking to the other side of the rock, unsure if a voice will come back. I don't know how long it took Daniel to answer. Maybe Daniel was sleeping and he rubbed some sleep out of his eyes and kind of came to and it took him 15, 20 seconds. Maybe it was right away. I don't know. Maybe Daniel was just having a lot of fun. He waited five minutes. I don't know how long it took. But Darius has worked up and he is worried. And he's, and he's coming to this stone, not knowing what's happening. We know the story, but he doesn't know the story. He doesn't know what has happened. And he comes and says, are you still alive, Daniel? Verse 21, then Daniel said unto the king, O king, live forever. Here's a man who answers back, and we'll see in a moment the gladness and the joy that sets in on Darius and the, the emotions that take place. Charles Spurgeon, the famed London preacher, said this, he observed that it's good that the lions didn't eat Daniel because they wouldn't have enjoyed him. He was half grit and the other half backbone. He said the lions could have eaten, but they wouldn't even have had a good meal because this man was so firm and so gritty in what he did. And we know in a moment we'll see that it's Daniel's belief. We know that it's Daniel's belief and it's Daniel's faith that brings him through this rough time. It's his faith that brings him through this trial. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 that it's the prophets that stopped the mouth of lions through faith. That it's not just that God did this, but it's Daniel's faith in God. And Daniel's belief wins out in the end. And his faith is an example and a story that we love to tell because it speaks volumes of when we, when we believe in God, what God can do. As the choir is saying, our God is victorious. He reigns over us. He always wins. That, that is, that's the story of Daniel chapter 6, that our faith in God wins out and that God comes through. There's a painting, we're going to put it on the screen, that you probably have seen before. It was painted by Britton Riviere, who was a British painter in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And most of us have probably seen this painting. But C.I. Schofield, Schofield is a man who wrote uh, notes in a particular Bible version. I personally have a Schofield uh, edition of the King James Version of the Bible. Who uses a Schofield? Raise of hands in the room, okay? Uh, uh, sprinkling of us through here. So I have a Schofield this morning, which just means I have Schofield's notes. Schofield was a brilliant attorney, but his life was plagued by alcoholism. And at age 36, Schofield was saved. And Schofield writes that he was saved and he had no idea really what the Christian life was about, what, it, what he was going to become. And we know now that he went on to become a brilliant author and a studier of the Bible and pastor and evangelist and champion for missionaries, those sorts of things. But early on in his saved life, days after he got saved, Schofield writes that he was walking by a store in St. Louis and he saw this painting of Daniel in the lion's den. And this is what Schofield said. I'm going to read what he said. He said, shortly after I was saved, I passed the window of a store in St. Louis where I saw a painting of Daniel in the lion's den. That great man of faith with his hands behind his back and those beasts circling him. As I stood there, great hope flooded my heart. Only a few days had passed since I had uh, been saved, a drunken lawyer that wasn't converted. And no one had told me anything about the keeping power of Jesus Christ. I thought to myself, there are lions all about me too, such as my old habits and my sins. But the one who shut the mouths of the lions for Daniel can also shut them for me. I knew that I could not win the battle in my own strength. The painting made me realize that while I was weak and helpless, my God was strong and able. 
He had saved me, and now he would deliver me from the wild beasts in my life. Oh, what a rest of spirit that truth brought me. Schofield says that that depiction of this story of Daniel with the lions encamping about him, that fortified my faith. It made me realize that my rough time or my trial or my lions, so to speak, are different than Daniel's were. Daniel's were literal, but nevertheless, I have them in my life, and I am weak, and I am helpless, and I cannot do this in my own strength. But if I depend on God, he will bring me through. He will bring me out of the lion's den. He will save me from these lions. And I don't know what lions are in your life or what troubles are in your life this morning, that you have lost a loved one or you have lost your finances or a job or it seems like your spouse has checked out or your children have checked out or there's a health difficulty that has hijacked your life. I don't know what it is, but I know this much. When the troubles and when the tough times and when the lions come, our faith in God is our greatest recourse. So it's the greatest thing that we can do is to put our faith in him and to allow him to help us through those troubled times. And that is what the story of Daniel is all about. That the rough times could not devour this man because his faith was so strong and so potent in God the Father. Verse number 22. Daniel continues on and he says this, My God has sent his angel. And angels aren't just little, you know, chubby cherubs for kids. Angels are real. And, God, and he says, my God sent his angel. He has shut the mouths, <clears throat> or shut the lion's mouths. And they have not hurt me, for as much as before him, innocency was found in me. And also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then he says, I'm guiltless. I've done nothing wrong to you or to God, and, and God has done this for me. Verse 23. Then was the king exceeding glad for him. Can you imagine the smile, the joy that takes over Darius at this point? And he commanded they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken uh, up out of the den, and no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God. Verse number 24, it's a scary verse, but Daniel records it. Then the king commanded, they brought those men which had accused Daniel. So not all of the princes, but the ones that had specifically accused him. And they cast them into the den of lions, them and their children and their wives. And the lions had mastery of them and break all their bones in pieces or ever they came at the bottom of the den. Now that sounds barbaric to us. That sounds overly punitive. That you not only destroyed these men for their sins, but also their wives and their children. Now that, it, it's pretty normative in this day and age for the wives and the children, for the family to be held accountable for the sins of the father. And I'm thankful that we would not implement judgment in that fashion in our day and age. But we do learn a valuable lesson. You never sin in a vacuum. Your sin always affects somebody else. When you do wrong, you are not a self-contained unit. Your sin is always going to have an effect, especially on those that you love most and those that are closest to you. Your sin will always affect them. And if you think that your gambling habits are just affecting you or your pornography habits are just affecting you or whatever sin you want to put in the blank, whatever, if you think that it's just affecting you and that you are the only one that's going to pay the consequences for that, I tell you, you're wrong. These men find out that there are others that are left holding the bill for what they did and their wrongdoings. And we, we learn in our, even in our day and age that our sins always affect other people. 
that you cannot just send and it only affects you, that the seeds that you sow eventually are reaped by yourself and especially those that are closest to you, that it's always going to have an effect on them. And it, sin always costs more than you want to pay, but the trouble of it is you're not the only one who pays the bill. Other people are left holding the bill oftentimes because of the sins of the fathers or the mothers or the sons or the daughters. And many times we are affected and we affect those that we love the most when we do wrong. And these men find that to be true. And they pay the price with their life and so does their family because of the wrong that they had done. Verse number 25. Then King Darius wrote unto all the people, nations, languages that dwelt in the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree. And, and Forgive Darius, he can't help himself. He's a king, he makes decrees. We know that you can't decree people to believe in God. We know it's a matter of the heart, not a matter of law. But he's doing the best he can. He's doing the best he can here. He says, I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever in his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth, and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and earth. Who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. We find that Daniel's faith rubs off on this man just as he did with Nebuchadnezzar and with the kingdom of the, of the Babylonians. He does now with the Persians and with Darius. And his faith rubs off on this man and he is an influence for him and he is salt and light in the life of Darius. And it, and it comes to a fruition of praise and adoration and extolling God all throughout the kingdom because of this man's faith. It's not just Daniel's life that's affected, but so many others are affected because of the faith of this one man. And that's the opposite of, it's the flip side of, of the sin. Your sin always affects people, but so does your faith. When you stand, it always affects people. It always has an influence. It always rubs off on somebody in a positive way. And Daniel is a great example of a man who chooses not the sin, not the wrongdoing, not a lack of faith, but to have faith in God and to stand and how it affects the kingdom. In conclusion, I want you to see this. I ask myself every time I read a, every time I read a story, every time I preach a sermon, I have a question on a sheet of paper that I'll ask myself, how does this story point to Jesus? Because I firmly believe that every story in the Bible whispers his name. This story, though, does more than whisper his name. It screams the name of Jesus, and the story that we all love dearly. Think about Daniel for a moment. Daniel is a man who did no personal wrong, but he was still despised and rejected of men. Daniel was a man who was set up by those who envied him. Daniel is a story when it's all said and done about good overcoming evil. Daniel's a man who seemingly cheated death. Daniel is a man who was sealed behind a stone and thought never to come out again. But early one morning, walked out of the cavern just as whole as he had ever been. Daniel is a man. This story is meant to point us to the one story. This story is meant to be a picture of, of the one story that we are drawn to, that we, that we long for deep inside of ourselves, of, of good overcoming evil, of, of someone escaping death, of the supernatural happening. This is a story that points to Jesus Christ himself, and that is the one story. I'm for you loving Daniel, and I'm for you uh, telling your kids about Daniel, and I'm for you telling them you should have the faith of Daniel. I love all that, but more than that, more than that, this is meant to point us to Jesus in his life, in his death, in him overcoming 
death. And him walking out of the tomb one day as the stone was rolled away, just as whole as he had ever been. This story is meant to point us to Jesus Christ. And can I say this morning, if you are in the room and you have never experienced that story, as C.I. Schofield did years ago, as I did 20 years ago, I, I beg you to experience that today. More than Daniel is the story of Jesus Christ, and he longs to walk into your life. He longs to help you with your lions. He longs to help you through your times and to be your fortress and your strength. And if you have never put your faith and trust in him, I I beg you this morning to do it. After the service is done, walk up to a fellow Christian in the room or walk up to me. I'll be at the front and come and just say, I want to experience that. I want to be introduced to Jesus. I want to be introduced to the man that all of the other stories point to, not just in the Bible, but the stories that we love. Our fairy tales are indicative of the stories that we long for, and that's Jesus Christ himself. And this, when it's all said and done, it's more than a story about regulation and faith and devotion, and all those applications are there and they're valid, but it's a story about Jesus Christ himself. And truly, that is the one story that we all should know, we should love, and it's the one story that can make an impact on our hearts and on our lives.